Let's let's do it live. Hello and welcome to the Slate Political Gap Fest. For December 28th, 2023, it's the Conundrums edition. We are live before a huge crowd at the 92nd Street Y in Manhattan. It's a crowd that's a buzz. I saw philosophers and theologians, Nobel Prize winners, MacArthur geniuses. The Dalai Lama himself is here, Oprah on one side, Thomas Alva Edison on the other. They've all come, you've all come, to hear us discuss and cogitate and contemplate and consider some of the most important questions of our time. Like, is it okay to put your trash in someone else's trash can? (laughs) If you had to live in a store for the rest of your life, which store would it be? (laughs) If food had feelings, would it want to be eaten or not want to be eaten? I am David Plotz of CityCast, and joining me on the conundrum stage, on my left, from the New York Times and Yale University Law School. I, did you all see the story that 80% of grades at Yale are A's? And I, for one, was not surprised, because they're being taught by Emily, so they're definitely going to get A's. All earned, all earned. Please give it up for the woman who does not need a billionaire benefactor to reshape American law, Emily Bazelon. <laughs> And we have an absence tonight, as I've already told you guys, but listeners at home, uh, John has been waylaid by a Hunter Biden indictment, and he, he was on his way to the show, he was on his way here, and he, he was pulled back by his CBS bosses, so he's not here. Hopefully, he might be able to join us later, we don't know yet. That is okay, yes, and well, you might boo. Yes. Boo. Uh, <laughs> Also, Stephen Colbert was going to join us, but his appendix ruptured. I don't know what's going on over at CBS. No, something, <laughs> something is happening. Um, Stephen is recuperating. When we find out, found out a couple of days ago that Stephen couldn't join us, we thought, well, who is as funny and wise and humane as Stephen Colbert? And beloved and willing and to bail us out. There was an obvious answer. Please welcome two-time Pulitzer Prize winner, New York Times critic at large, Wesley Morris. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Wait, 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 wait. I was going to... How's Stephen doing? Do we know? He's better. Yeah. Okay. But still okay. off of the air. Okay. Yeah. Right. If he couldn't do his own show, he was not going to come I'm here. It seemed like a lot to ask. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. And, you know... And we're if you, so happy. If you call, I will... Re- I always listen to this show thinking, just, I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> like, part of the fun of the show is really, honestly, I don't have the answers to any of these questions, so I don't know what the hell is going to happen today. <laughs> One of my own anxiety dreams is actually being asked to fill in for someone like Stephen Colbert less, no notice. So I really admire the stones on you. I'll tell you my real anxiety dreams later, and they like this is actually a very small, small, like spandex amount of, of anxiety on my part. So Good. On today's GabFest, you're... Conundrums, your conundrums, your conundrums, profound ones, silly ones, ones that make you really wonder about the mental health of the person who asked it. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, because I've having read them, I'm like, some of these. Wow. And we will have a lightning round and we'll have a slate plus, which will be even more conundrums. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get started with one that we've all already sort of thought about a little bit, which is, Emily, is it okay to put your trash in someone else's garbage can if you're, you don't have space in your own? Well, okay, so there are 
different parts of this. So your own garbage can is full, then you would be using your neighbor's trash can, right? Mm -hmm. I think that if your neighbor's trash can is ready on the curb and there's space in it and the garbage is getting picked up the next day, then yes, it's okay. But I also, all right, so we can talk about that. But I also have a whole set of deliberations that I do every day about dog poop and what you're allowed to do and how far you have to be from a public trash can and whether the problem with using someone's trash can for dog poop is whether they're going to see you or whether it's actually really bad. Hmm. Okay, so I want to put that on the table as well. And? Well, I have just so... My dog has two lawns, like two blocks from my house, that she likes the best. And (laughs) she has very little poops, but obviously I pick them up for sure. And so she poops, like, it's a four-block walk. It's right in the middle. The end, the two more blocks is the public trash can. When I'm running, I just keep, I carry it the whole way. But if I'm walking and it's a trash day and the trash is out and there's room, but I know it's going to get collected that morning, then I like sneak it. But room. I always feel... You just said that the shits were tiny. Like, Well, I just like if it's, you know, like it's, I'm putting it, but I also want to make sure that it doesn't get left in the trash can. And I always am worried that someone's going to get mad at me. Oh my it's God. much more about... You're- as neurotic as I am about to go on. No, no, I, I feel like I've said quite So enough. do you guys know the amazing Ben Wittes story? So Ben Wittes, great podcaster, journalist. So Ben Wittes tells a story about having dropped dog poop in someone's trash can. The person saw him do it, was furious, came out, grabbed it, threw it at him. Oh my God. And he, and they sort of exchanged words. Somebody not his words, exchanged words of hostility. And his question was, was he the asshole or was she the asshole? She was the asshole. No, no, no. He's no. the asshole. No, no, no. no. All right, wait, wait. Why was why was Ben well, the asshole? Uh, because I left out a key part. <laughs> he did. I forgot. I forgot. He did not then pick up the dog poop that she threw back at him. But was it like? That's an admissible. <laughs> We're actually arguing the ethics of putting the poop in the I, trash well, in the I first place. I was elaborating on it. So. Okay. The ethics. Wait, when she threw it at him, was it still in the bag when it landed? Yes, it was still in the bag. Okay, well then, yeah, he should have picked it up. But he probably then like turned his heel. It's hard to have a good like exit strategy when you're also <laughs> yeah. up. when somebody's throwing your own dog's poop at you. Right. Um. So let's just. I want to come back to this, but I also want to sort of stay with you, Emily, because I really, you know, I live in a neighborhood where I like that you started with the with the trap with the with the garbage being on the street. Yeah, because that's a big thing. What about this scenario? What about this addendum to this question? Which is that you have left your house and you've got, say, an apple that you just finished eating and you start when you close your front door and you finish it before you get to the end of the block. And you don't eat the core. No. <laughs> Continue on. Do people do that? Yes. yes. Yeah, but okay, go on. So it's the, uh, can you dump the apple core? <laughs> Do y'all do that? I do. Just checking. Okay. That's deep. Yeah. Okay. Except for like the little. You've got a real strong gut situation. You should try it sometimes. All right. I'll I'll try it. All right. Um, But (laughs) I, (laughs) I, I, I will just put the. I mean, I don't have public cans on on my part of the street. And I, you know, I want to get rid of the core as soon as I can. I carry a paper towel with me. And so. I'll put it in a neighbor's compost bin and just call it a day. That's a, I think compost bin, I think that's okay. I think compost bin is not like garbage. I think compost bin, people who have compost bins want more stuff in it. No, 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 no. No, no in New York City, I don't know how it works in D.C., but like the city will come and take the bin. So it's, it's for our purposes, garbage. Okay, I think okay. It's gar- I don't think that's that different, but, except it's just so not poop. I guess my... my which is different. I just don't, well, right. But I guess I do have, what I'm thinking as I'm doing it is, what would I say if, a, if, a, if somebody opened their front door and said, what the fuck are you doing? And what would you say? It's just I'm, I'm not throwing it on the ground. And my house is all the way back there. Why can't I put it in yours? You're not going to notice it's a tiny little apple core. What right. difference does it make? I mean, if you saw someone putting garbage in your garbage can and it was out on the street, would you stop and... No. Nobody... I'm, no. I don't want to say nope. I mean, clearly the pe- this, people, there's one person. There are people who care. And I guess the reason I think you probably shouldn't do it is that the people who care, care a lot. 
and you they, never know. And they, yeah, and they, but, they consider they have property rights in their gar garbage. Actually, let who here will willingly admit that they would be pissed if someone put garbage in their garbage can? Um, I see somebody right there. I feel like the way you oh, phrased God. it made it impossible. <laughs> I know. Wait, so, can, yes. I, can I ask a question? Because I don't, I don't have a dog. Um, and I've never, I mean, we can talk about the sort of humiliation of picking up dog poop twice a day. <laughs> I can't bring myself to do it. Um, <laughs> but it's also why I don't let people put their, take their shoes, put, keep their shoes on in my house. Because uh -huh. I live in this city. Just don't. Just no. Can't do it. Sorry. But. Is dog poop compostable? I don't think so. Because it smells so bad. Oh, is someone it, thinks it, that it is. The, okay. New York City will take it. They won't. The city will not take feces. From cats. From, from cats. But dogs, yes, apparently. That's what you're saying. It's a hell. Oh. Uh, all right. Well. I just, I'm curious, but... It's I, been a great show. We're going to talk about this all <laughs> Wait, no, no. Let's keep going. We've, it's literally this like really 9.30 is, now. I, I just think about what would happen if I got caught doing it, and I don't really have a good answer, except I'm not littering. Yeah. yeah. Emily, what's, an, what's another conundrum? Um, will, well, sorry. When will M&Ms no longer be produced, and why? <laughs> um, go on. <laughs> So I oh go ahead sorry. Do you have, no did no you I, sp I talked a lot. You talked. So I think uh, the if you think back on things that used to be made that aren't made anymore, um, there things that are brands. There are brands that stop existing. So there, I'm sure there are things like you know Brill Cream still exists. I guess maybe, um, but nobody who's using it. Um, and they're they're. They're brands that our grandparents use. But M&Ms are so big, and they are, they're very functional, useful candy. So the only way I can think of M&Ms not being produced is like a truly catastrophic events that basically destroy the American economy. And that, so that either it's like there's no longer any cocoa, butter, cocoa, whatever it is, being produced in the whole world, which is really terrible, or supply chains have completely collapsed. So I think it is it's probably like 23 years from now. I think it's also the apocalypse. And imagine how many, I bet you M&Ms last forever. I think they would be a, they would be with us for a very long time. I also don't like M&Ms. I don't think they're good, cheap. I really like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Emily, you had them. I know. I and then you lost them. Emily, usually the crowds love Emily. I love it. I, I love M&Ms. They're great. <laughs> Wait, but Emily... But Emily, I've got one. I'm allergic to chocolate. <gasps> so I've never even had an M&M. We're That's just crazy. Ooh, an allergy. <laughs> Come on. Um, so maybe it's a world in which all children are the offspring of Wesley Morris, and everyone is in de descended from you, and they're all allergic to chocolate. Than, than having me as a father you didn't know was your dad. Um, I think it'd be fine. But wait, I want to talk about one aspect of this question that actually fascinates me, which is the marketing of M&Ms, right? I actually think the thing that should end the M&M lifespan is the sort of personification of, M &M. of the M&Ms. Which are relatively sexy recent. M&Ms. Yeah. The, like, the, like, they're actually doing sexy stuff in some of these ads. It's too much. Also, <laughs> also... I think the problem with the M&M commercials is, is like they've made eating the M&M part of the scary thing about being an M&M is that you you might get eaten. I just I don't know. There's just, literally a conundrum. If food had feelings, would it would want it, to be eaten or not to be eaten? Well, right M&M's is answering the question. Mar, the Mars company does Mars still own M&M's? I think so. Buy think so. Yeah, let's say so. They okay. definitely yeah. don't want you to think that the M&M's want to be eaten, um, which is weird also, because they want people to eat the M&M. For as long as we have famous people, we're going to have M&M's because the the M&M sorting mechanism is how you know which stars are the stars they are. Right, like I don't want any red ones. Don't let me see a green one. I need you to take all. How many colors are there? Four. I need you to take all the colors. Well, it's probably more than four now. Yeah. I need you to it. sort these M and M's according to my album release date, the tracks on them, the people. But I mean, do you know the the real story of that though. It's what, an amazing the, story. The Van the Halen divification of so, M &Ms? so Van Halen had this whole thing where you could not if you went uh, if Van Halen was doing a show, you couldn't have a brown M and M's. 
Like they insisted there be no wouldn't round put that past M- Eddie and M and M's. And Eddie and, and the so gang. They, they got to a, if they got to a gig and there were brown M and M's, they were like, we're done, and they wouldn't perform. <laughs> and the whole reason it was a writer in the show, and the whole reason in the contract was that their feeling was if the people who were putting on the show hadn't read the contract, oh. hadn't bothered to abide by it, then they it's couldn't trust all the sort of safety issues, all the other things that they right. really mattered. Eddie, so that was right. That was the reason. All right. This episode of the GapFest is sponsored by Aura Frames. Are you ready to win Mother's Day? Cement your reputation as the best gift giver in your family. Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. That mom will love looking back on childhood memories, seeing you what you're up to today, checking out grandkids, checking out cousins, and even better with unlimited storage and an easy to use app, you can keep on updating your mom's frame with new photos so that it's a gift that keeps on giving. This is how I live in my family. I gave my mother an aura frame. It was either for Mother's Day or for her birthday. She absolutely adores it. She's constantly hectoring me to update it with more photos, which I do. I also gave my girlfriend's mother an aura frame, and I hope she hectors my girlfriend to update it with more photos. But it is a present that will bring absolute delight to a mother in your life. And they have a great deal for Mother's Day. GapFest listeners can save on this perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code GABFEST at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Give us a conundrum, Wesley. Really? Yeah. Is it okay to uninvite somebody from a birthday party? I mean, under what circumstances is it okay to disinvite someone from anything? I feel like especially a birthday party seems mean. You fucked my man? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> place you because i didn't know out. he just found out he i mean i out. just i was creeping through the phone last night and guess what i saw hmm. fucking my man but then maybe your, the birthday party isn't happening at all i'm still partying <laughs> you can't come <laughs> it's that simple i mean I have but, a friend who literally discovered their spouse having an affair looking at their phone 10 minutes before a birthday party <laughs> <laughs> Can, wait, but isn't isn't the conversation one B? Don't do that. Don't mess with your spouse's phone. Don't do it. Yeah. Just don't go in there. You don't want to know. Hmm. So okay. <laughs> Emily. What? No, I don't do that. Okay. I'm not a believer in that. I am going to, yeah, if my, I have problems, which are more that I don't know any passwords for anything. I think there are reasons to not have people come to your party if you find something out. Or you just don't want to, in this time, right, maybe birthday parties should be a thing where you don't uninvite people because maybe that's the, you want to donate your gift, your birthday gift to your friends for yourself is to maybe work out some stuff at the party or something, right? (laughs) As opposed to the way it once might have worked 10 minutes ago where you find out that somebody's got some views you don't like and you just don't want them in your world on a happy night. Can you still you. have fun at your party if you've had to disinvite someone? Yes. Yeah. yeah. 100%. I think I would get A weight's been lifted. Man, yeah. I think I yeah. would be so torn up by that that I would just feel terrible and like start spinning and it would be that I just wouldn't even, I, I, maybe I'm exaggerating, but I don't, I don't know. I find withdrawing invitations incredibly, I, it makes me so full of anxiety. You're a very kind person. I don't, I mean, I mean, you. You, you're also, you know, pragmatic like and M&Ms a realist, but one. I, what? Doesn't like M&M's. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but I'm not <laughs> holding that. Pick up her dog poop. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you must pick one book from your actual bookshelf. Ask Mitchell Kosht to give to an alien species to represent humanity. What book do you pick? I mean, do, do you have one? No, not really. I want you to answer first, if possible. Well, it's funny because the first thing that, I mean, there's so many things. I mean, what do I want an alien to know about humanity? Um, I mean, Gibbon, I guess. That's a lot of books to be throwing at somebody. But I mean, you. But I mean, it's a. It's the obvious. It's an obvious answer. But me, I would choose Paul Beatty's to sell out. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's read that book. Like, I mean, it's about the U.S., so it's not particularly mm -hmm. useful for the rest of the planet. Um, but I mean, you're getting to know a lot about the way you can laugh at a thing that isn't working. Um, this is one of our great American satirists, Paul Beatty, and. Um, He's written this, he wrote this great book that came out, I think 2013, 14, um, that's essentially a race satire of um, involving a lot of American entertainment history and what happens when um, he basically attempts to recreate it. Why, why would the aliens like that? What, what are the aliens going to get? Because it's funny. It's hilarious. Would it's, they get the humor if they were aliens? It would, yes. I mean, the they book would, succeed. It would be universal humor. It, it succeeds yeah. at the thing that it's doing so that it's clear enough what the jokes I are. I think that's right. Well, what about you, Emily? I mean, I have to say, and this is such a craven answer, I would pick like a poetry anthology that had a lot of different writers in it. I feel like poetry, <laughs> I know. Sorry. I love you so your, much. Your form of virtue, actually my virtue signaling I'm about to is going to be even worse. So go ahead. Uh -huh. Finish. Well, so wait. Okay. So first of all, even though I don't know anything about poetry and I'm intimidated by it, I think that something that just is lyrical and depends on language and conveys meaning less Wait, so literally. you're going to have a really good translation. You have to have a great translation. Translate. You mean like an... An but it's translation. The alien, how are the aliens going to read it? But that's a problem with anything. See, this is sort of baked... Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Fine. Finish your point. Um, I don't know. I, I but I, I agree that the anthology part of my answer is a terrible part of the answer. So you just want to represent all of human uh, the imagination and beauty. Yeah, I get okay. worried about yeah. choosing one anything that's refracted through one writer feels like choosing a particular identity to me. Sure. And there's so many. I th I feel like mine is mine is exactly the flip side version of yours and it's so pedestrian, which is Studs Turkle's working, which Ooh. is all these people talking okay. about how they work, how they feel about work, what they do. It's a good one. You learn, it's like, or Richard Scarry's What Do People Do All Day, which I'm not sure is on uh, my... Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, it's, I'm sure it's on my bookshelf, but it's that same it idea. It might as well be. Could be. It's the, it's like a, it shows all of human activity and people's thoughts on human activity. There hmm. are parts, parts of it. The work. I love Studs Terkel. That's a great example. Um, yeah, I can't, that's, I wish I had thought of that. Uh, which he's not saying about my poetry anthology. I also like that too. Oh, you did? Um, would it just would never have occurred to me. That one, there's a shot. Um, okay. There was a Reddit thread uh, with the question, what would you wish on your worst enemy mm. with deliciously banal answers like that both sides of the pillow are warm or perpetually wet socks? <laughs> so... In this spirit, what would you wish on your worst enemy? And this question comes from Patricia Gonzalez. I, What's the thing that irritates you the most? I love this question. I when I saw this, I was like, "There's an such an obvious answer." It's it is for well, there are actually two obvious answers. One is to be next to leaf blowers all the time, <laughs> and the other is sitting next to like a 75-year-old on a train who is trying to watch a video. <laughs> okay. Mine, For eternity. That's good. Mine reflects, I think, both age and gender, sadly. Waiting in line, you can't lose your place in line, and desperately having to pee. Ooh. Oh, excellent. <laughs> and terrible. A life of curdled dairy products. That's my wish. Like of all the, like you know, when they say I would never Sour wish it on my, on my, ever, forever, I would never wish it on my worst enemy. I never know what that, you know, what is the thing I would wish? I think curl dairy product. 
Because <laughs> how much we all we've all been there. You open Sour it, milk. You, and you're expecting it. You didn't smell it. Yeah, it should be good. Yeah. And you have you already poured it in the coffee? Oh, the whole thing. You've baked something with that. <laughs> you think that heat can solve that problem, but oh no, <laughs> it cannot. It's your turn. Um, all right, this is a long one, but it, I, I think you, you, Emily, I think are equipped to answer it for real. Uh-oh. And then, you know, David, David and I can just have it. a lot of feelings. Yeah. Um, dear, this is from um, Kali Rocha. Kali Rocha, Matt. Kali Rocha and Matt. All right. Um, Thank you for this, Kali. Dear smart and thoughtful friends, why, all caps, do realtors have to, by law, at least in California, reveal that someone died in the home they are selling to future owners? No one can explain this to me with a cogent argument that doesn't graze the metaphysical, which I think of as sharing no boundary with law. Of course... A death due to crime is one thing. A natural death, however, should, should have no bearing on the actual value of a property unless you believe in ghosts. That was in all caps. Also in all caps. It's true a conundrum that even years of dinner party solicitation can't explain. It's a true conundrum, sorry, that even years of dinner party solicitation, solicitation can't explain. Under what circumstances should you take your partner or whole family? Oh, sorry. That's Matt's question. All right. <laughs> Let me, let me just get to the... It's a true conundrum that even years of dinner party solicitation can't explain. So, Emily, why? Okay, so I think the answer to this has to do with property value and that your property value can be affected even by things that aren't real because your property value has to do with how people perceive the property. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that people will have a kind of instinctual um, recoiling from a house where a death took place and that that's going to affect the value of the house. And so everybody has to have that information because otherwise they could argue that you hid something that could materially affect the value of the property. Mm, But it does kind of still have to do with ghosts or at least it has to do (laughs) with the association with death. I suppose you could separate just the idea of like, people recoiling from death. You could say that that's different from ghosts, but I think it also does kind of have to do with ghosts. So Poltergeist, right? Like, you guys remember the film Poltergeist, not Poltergeist in general. I mean, I did not, I mean, not set in California, I don't believe, but also sort of has this flavor of what happens when people die. What about all the other stuff that happens in a house, though, that I would actually want to know, too? If we're talking about dead stuff, let's like make a list of 10 other things I want to know. Every happened. really loud argument. I mean, what about near death? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, like that scene in Breaking Bad where the bathtub comes <laughs> to the ceiling. Yes. That was, was meth made was in this death, house? But there was a death in Oh, I'm sorry. I yeah. forgot. Yeah. Of course. They're just a body. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's next? Okay. Next, uh, I got one. How about, um, would you rather have a lovable fool or a competent jerk as your coworker asked Becca Nagorski. <laughs> Wait, what's the difference? What do you mean, what's the difference between a lovable fool and a competent jerk? Have you ever... We only work with people who are both all of those things at once. Um, I like as a lovable fool, you know? Really? What are you relying them on? What, what, do you, what are you imagining doing with them? What if they're your editor? What are my options again? Let me just... Lovable get fool. The terms exactly right. Lovable fool. Competent, competent jerk. I think a lovable fool. I mean, I can... I, oh, wow. Because you know what? You know what? They're, they're both going to give you high blood pressure, Right. They're both going to be somebody you talk to your person at home about, you talk to your other coworkers about. You can't stand either person, right? I feel like, well, I don't know. Now that I'm working through but it, this. But I think it depends. Are you, you're not building NASA rockets. You're not, like building, you're not building things where... But where, we don't know that. I'm asking. Oh, Wesley? I think in the scenario where you're building something where lives depend on it, the lovable fool. If you're is a, a surgeon, idea. this is not the right answer. Yeah. Lovable fool. You work in the emergency room. Yes, I think if you have a job where anything really depends. But what on if it, we don't have jobs like we that? We don't have jobs like that, but we do have jobs where, like, 
I mean, imagine that you, it depends who the person is. If the person is supposed to be, okay, for us, it's like someone trying to make your writing better and also like stick up for you within the institution of the New York Times, et cetera, et cetera. You'd rather have a jerk? Well, the problem with the lovable fool is that it becomes, the quality becomes all on you and that makes me really nervous. The, the, um, let's we're gonna do a quick audience poll. Would you, or we're gonna do, first we're gonna ask if you'd rather work with a lovable fool, second will be competent jerk and an, answer by making noise. Would you rather work with a lovable fool? Yeah. Would you rather work with a competent jerk? Woo! A lot of emergency room physicians here. That was a pretty even divide. I no, think. I think the I think the, the, jerks, the, jerk, the, jerks the jerks were louder. Can I actually? Yeah, well, can maybe I, that can says I, something. A vote. A v- that was a vote. That was, okay. a vote. That was the That's vote. Like the best vote we can do. The um, there's. Do you, I don't know if you guys noticed this. Just sorry, I'm going to take another question, which is very similar. But there was three different people who asked a question, which is a variation on this, which makes me think there is a lot of imposter syndrome going on. Um, which was basically, would you rather be very lucky? but stupid or very unlucky, but smart. And that was Kevin McGinnis's version. There was a different version, which is, would you rather be, uh, you know, smart, but people think you're dumb or dumb and people think you're smart. And so a lot of people clearly are going through life thinking they're just lucky or (laughs) that a lot, they're not actually smart. Um, Would you rather be lucky and dumb or smart and unlucky? It's so frustrating to feel like things are unlucky. I think I would rather be dumb and lucky. I think that's right. Can I ask can I ask an ontological question here? Sure. Of course. Do dumb people know they're dumb? <laughs> like isn't isn't like I, I don't know, I've never really thought about this, but like I would just know I was lucky. I right. wouldn't know I was dumb. Well, that's a good reason to pick this side because you would just go through life feeling blessed. I would be awful blessed. if I was smart and unlucky because I'd be running around, I'd be Larry David. You'd be grouchy <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Yeah, we know what that's like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing that's so great about dumb people, I think, is that they don't know. Wait, which I, way would you be happier? You would definitely be happier. I'd be happier lucky. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't know from yeah. dumb. I'm right. smart to me. Yeah. Right. Perfect. I could be dumb right now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not your problem. Emily. What's my problem? I don't know. <laughs> not that. <laughs> Just take that one off your list of fears. All right. Um, okay. We see Roman ruins all over Europe. What will people 2,500 years from now see of America today comes from Beth Kirsch. Beth, great question. Just kavas. It'll just be kavas, ruined kavas. <laughs> Thousands of kavas. Cash I come from Washington where the only monument is a kava. I oh. love kavas. I hope that that's all that's left. Have you guys eaten there? So good. My inaugural meal at one of those was fantastic. I have been chasing that meal forever. For two years. Oh. I don't even know what I got. The, the, the one I was at, the, the lighting was the best lighting. Anyway, let's answer the, okay, the, actual, let's answer question. the actual question. Um, I actually would go a corporate route, too. I'm thinking what I think is the Starbucks logo is just like in, you know, the cobblestones on my street that are like partially covered up by tar, you know, by paving. It'd be something like that. It'd be some corporate. It would have to be something corporate. Okay, if it's something corporate, it's the M&M. Arches. Oh, it's the McDonald's sign or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. I mean, oh. <laughs> don't think you would have that. It's the McDonald's arches. That's what you think it's going to be? McDonald's? I don't think it's something corporate. I think it's something like Mount Rushmore or, well, Mount Everest is just a mountain, but some, like the Taj Mahal. Like, but I guess that would just be totally overgrown. That's not right either. What's a natural wonder? But it would have to be something that that is, in you know, native to like, or synonymous in some way with this place, right? It also, maybe I'm totally wrong, and it's plastic. It's either plastic or mm. cement. Like a, a McDonald's Playgrounds. Yes, maybe it's McDonald's Playgrounds forever. <laughs> the slides and the balls. They, I've heard people say that when they, in like 60 million years, they'll know this era existed by concrete, that concrete just is 
there eternally and they'll see layers of concrete. It'll be, be right. Things made of concrete, but I don't even know what that is. Well, dams. it could, yeah, dams. Ruins of dams. That seems well, right. Or have you guys ever, I mean, I'm sure we, we all live in cities. Um, I always find that that street work is so fascinating. Do you guys ever like just get mesmerized by the layers of work that has gone into keeping you as far away from the original surface as humanly possible? Like, yeah. I can't, I don't even, when I saw on my old street how many, I don't, I'm going to say centuries of, of work had been done, like, we were about 30 feet above the original surface. Because of, of just all the layers. Yeah, just of. layers. I mean, 30 feet's probably an exaggeration, but it was deep. I like concrete as an answer because it, it seems possible. Wesley, your turn. This is from um, Brian Chucknicki. And uh, without knowing, without knowing how long you're going to live or what quality of life you will have between now and then, would you trade three years off the end for a guarantee of a better quality until then? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Not even a question. So I also feel like this isn't a conundrum and I would say the same thing, but do you think that just reflects our age? Do you think if we were older, we would be more thoughtful and prudent about this decision and we're being hasty because we just can't really imagine dying? But It's not pressing enough for us to really worry about? Even I worry about it wrong. all the time. You so. do, really? Sure. Have you read the question I put in here? Yeah, that's I true. Was, I was going to get to that. I'm on. I mean, I'll uh, read the question. Um, what about you, Wesley? Would you would you take three miserable years? You know, I think about the machines. Your sister taking care of you grudgingly. It, it wouldn't be my sister. It would be her three kids. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, this is sort of getting me to the. I mean, can I just read your question? Sure. So can I answer this question by also sure. bringing in your question? I mean, I might start crying while I read it, which is the last thing I want to do, but, you know. Could happen. We're warned. Okay. This is from David Plotz. <laughs> <laughs> First time <Sometimes>. caller. <laughs> uh, there's a history of Alzheimer's in my family. And my father is currently in a long, slow decline that's been nearly 10 years of loss for him um, and all around him. He's lost speech, names, control of his body. He's not unhappy or in pain, but his decline has caused huge unhappiness for those he loves. If he knew what was going to happen to him, I'm sure he would have thought to avoid it. But we live in a country that discourages suicide and assisted homicide for people who are mentally incompetent. I live in fear of the same last decade in the shadows, gradually losing myself and imposing terrible costs on those who must care for me. What can I do to plan to prevent this? How can I safeguard my loved ones? Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> my daughter's here tonight, so she's gonna, she'll take notes. Take notes, honey. <laughs> I mean, Emily? <laughs> We can work with we can work this out together. I, I mean, I would go to great lengths to avoid this, but the problem is, and this is obviously what your question captures, there is a very short sweet spot for addressing this before you are too far gone to actually make it happen. And I think it's really hard to actually believe it's happening or to know what to do. I mean, Amy Bloom wrote a whole book about this um, and taking her... It's a great book if you have It's a really wonderful book. And there's a great This American Life episode. And David interviewed her too. Um, and she went to Belgium, right? Or Switzerland. Switzerland she yeah. went to Switzerland where it's easier to have assisted suicide. And... It's really an excellent book. And one of the things I appreciate about it so much is that when they went, her husband was still joking, still present because he had to be able to consent. And so he couldn't be past the point where he didn't understand and didn't enjoy life anymore. And there's something like for us, culturally, at least for me, kind of breathtaking well, about that. Why can't Though I think it was pre-consent? Like, why can't you pre-consent to, to being murdered? Supposition, right? I mean, I, that's a really good question, but that's not... Le I mean, should we be able to do that? Well, the reason we don't have assisted suicide in that way is that we worry about it being turned against people who are vulnerable. Yes, and so sure. we don't 
we don't, it's a slippery slope problem. We don't, we think that window of allowing for consent isn't worth the dangers that it could unleash. I can tell you it is. Like I can say, you know, having lived through it, it absolutely is worth it. I mean, I think I consent, there's however many hundreds of people here, to I say in front of you, like when, I, when I'm at the stage, well before the stage that Pa is at, have me killed. Like find a way to do it. I consent. Yeah. Like, but- why can't you do that? Yes, I mean, I would ask. I mean, this would this was in thinking about the answer to this question, or like like a the proposition of a scenario, um, would be something along the lines of why couldn't this be something that you're thinking about in the same way that you design a will? Well, right. I mean, obviously, you, you can have do not resuscitate clauses, but we don't. That's different, right? It is some. Yeah, it is it's very different. So, I mean, I feel the same way as you, but I do think it's important to remember that when you make it easier to kill people, then the people who end up dead may be people who are vulnerable for all kinds of other reasons. Is there so, you know, this comes up a lot in disability rights about quality of life. Who are we to judge? Is there something different about an end of life decision of someone who has been compass mentis has not been vulnerable for disabilities through their whole life. Do we think of that as a different category or is that still a slippery slope? Wait, that if you, if this is a decision you're making at the end of a long, otherwise healthy life, that it should be accepted and be given more credence somehow? Or that we don't have the same fears. Like we really fear making it easier to have euthanasia of disabled people. And we fear that for good reason. But if you're someone whose disability comes about only at the end of life, could we treat that as a different category morally? Is that Well, I don't understand what the problem with anticipating this as a, like a, like a, um, what is the word that's not coming to mind? But like, it's a contingency, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a possibility that I could suffer dementia. There could be a whole sort of familial chain reaction that I don't want to have to instigate in my family. Like, you know, especially in your case, David, you you were living through an example of how hard this is and you would never want to inflict that difficulty on your family. And there just has to be, you are, you are, I think your ability to sort of speak for yourself and advocate for what you actually like to have happen to you, written down, notarized, you know, yep. the whole yeah. the whole deal. Um, and you know, but you the can law change it if you want. But, but the I law mean, doesn't allow. That's the thing. The but law doesn't what, allow. I guess the question is, we is, all. Ag- I think we agree. I think the law should permit that. Right. I agree. So right. So you want to make more room for assisted suicide planned out in advance for, in this for scenario. homicide. I mean, for I think that, like you, people you can't. Yes, people are unable to do it. I mean, that's one of the problems. I think the they're problem, unable to kill themselves. No, 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 no. So, sorry. Oh yeah, the assisted problem suicide. with yes, all these right. conversations is the terminology, right? Yeah, we like don't know. once we are talking about things that involve like an episode of like SVU. I just feel like that just, it sounds more loaded than what it actually is. I, I mean, compassionate care, compassionate, compassion, 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 right? This is preemptive compassion, right? This is me as a sane, sentient person designating that I care enough for the people in my life and their finances and their time and their own families to say, hey, once I am no longer functional, once I am no longer what you, we can all agree will be myself, I think we have to talk about a, a way to make everybody's lives easier, including mine. Right. Probably by ending it. Right. So you're talking about sparing other people all of the anguish and difficulty and sparing yourself, imagining yourself in that space, which is itself a compassionate instinct, right? Yes. I mean, I think so. I wonder if part of why this is so hard is that the human resistance to assisted suicide and euthanasia came from, it's ancient, I think, and it came from a time where we didn't have all this medical technology and it was easier to die. People died more quickly. They died more brutally. They didn't, we didn't have the capacity. And so now we're at this moment, at least in our society, where it is possible, it's actually become really hard to die and in, in many circumstances. And then there's this disjuncture between both our laws and norms and what the actual experiences are that we're wrestling with here. I'm going to move us on. Okay. That was... um, I'm going to move us on to a a really serious... 
a really serious question. There's a there's a Gabfest uh, there's a Gabfest listener named Phil Goldstein who every year Phil sends us like forty good conundrums and we always have to do one. So this I one, I love conundrum built. Like you guys are so yeah. smart. I love uh, that. So <laughs> Phil has one this year, which is a great question. Which is what is the pl- platonic ideal of the proper way to slice a sandwich, and does it depend on the type of sandwich? This is why Wesley's here. He's excited. Phil, <laughs> my man. <laughs> I know the. I mean, there's a certain there's there's one definite answer for sandwich on sandwich bread. There's an absolutely correct answer. What is yeah. that? the absolutely correct answer? If it's sandwich on sandwich bread, you cut this it. On the, you cut once this is on David Plotz. This is David Plotz. Sir, you absolutely cut it once on the diagonal. Why is that the correct answer? Because you, it it just creates a perfect mouthfeel. Like you get these pointy ends that are great. You also get immediate access if you're somebody who wants that big central area where the bacon and tomato and lettuce are all gathered with a good glob of mayo. You get go right right there. Um, and it, it gives you all sorts of choice about how you eat it, too. You can approach it from the points. You can approach it from the center. Um, and it's also very satisfying to hold it that way. I got in big trouble this morning because we were at John's house and there were bagels. And I, instead of slicing the whole big ba- ba- On the bagel, equator. You did not cut it on the equator. On the equator, I cut it in half <laughs> and then cut it in half. Oh, my God. I think that's totally fine. Wait, wait did you? Wait, 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 let me, I've got a follow-up question. Emily, why did you do that? Okay, <laughs> so I did it first because I only wanted a quarter of the bagel. Though, of course, then I went back and had the other half. And then John- Welcome to bagels. Yeah, wanted, like, yeah, so I got, but honestly, the truth is, really what I would have done if I'd been at my own house was just tear the bread. I like, <laughs> I think- you, wait. She's a monster. <laughs> That word, audible gas. I know. Doesn't it? Does anyone else out there feel, please, there's got to be someone, that when you're eating a roll or any bread or like a loaf of bread, that hunks of bread just taste better than sliced bread? Yes. Yeah, but... Wait, wait, wait. You just said a loaf loaf of bread? Well, I don't eat the whole loaf. No, but but it's challah, like challah. Yeah, like you grab some challah. Because you have all these nice uneven surfaces. You've maximized uneven surfaces. I think I feel this way about any But you can't do that. This is, again, tragedy of the common situations. You cannot do this in someone else's house, namely the Dickerson. I didn't. Well, I did. You bought like all this beautiful locks for us. No, I didn't grab, I didn't do this this morning. I just cut it wrong. Emily, the reason I asked why you did it was because there is a scenario in which you didn't want to do a whole thing to the bagel, right? You maybe wanted to like dip it in some cream cheese, right? Like, I mean, I think there are, like, the the bagel as vehicle for other parts of the spread I think you don't need to cut a bagel in half for that. And you don't want to bother with a utensil. To, you can, you're at a friend's house. You can be mildly primitive about your bagel eating experience, with right? With the key is the mildly part. Right. I don't think that if it's the, it's the three of you and Anne, is that right? I mean, you're among friends. It's fine. It wasn't fine. Yeah, John was really irritated. <laughs> <laughs> I, I truly, I mean... There, there, I'm, I'm evenly split between this is ridiculous and I understand. Um, but I want to come back to this sandwich question. Yes. Okay. Because I think that, you know, one of the experiences that I have as a person who does, oh, wait, I have to say, I was going to say this like everybody knows. I have to say something that's important, which is, I don't like sandwiches. I know. Now... Is this better or worse than not liking M&M's? There are way worse things I don't like. So, thing about a sandwich is, it's a real crapshoot. Because, you know, if you're making the sandwich, you have a lot of control. If somebody else is doing it, and most of the time you get a sandwich made, you can't see it get made. And so, I don't want to be micromanaging my sandwich creation. Because those people, I mean, to quote the company, some of these people really are sandwich artists. But I don't like their art all the time. And is that because when you eat the sandwich, you can't get all the things in the bite? That I you want, want everything on the sandwich in every bite. Yeah, that's and hard to people, pull off. They're making twenty-five sandwiches. I mean, it's a hard job. Like pleasing, making sandwiches for us. This is terrible. The worst job ever. 
but people are good at it and some of them really love it. I would just rather, I'm <laughs> like, everything should kind of be a burrito is, mm-hmm. is my feeling. I, I just Everything. don't take sandwich advice from a man who starts by saying, I don't really like sandwiches. So I, I, My I, advice is everything. eat a burrito. You're so- <laughs> Are there other one- kinds? No, we're moving on. Okay. Let's do, we'll, we'll each do, you guys each do one more question, and then we're going to do a lightning round, and then we'll do our Slate Plus. What would you do if a time-traveling Genghis Khan showed up at your front door? <laughs> Assume you can understand each other's language up to whether up to you whether to assume he has his horde with him. And I got one more. What about a time-traveling Jesus Christ? This is a David Plotz question. I know. I didn't even realize that before I started asking. Uh, It's a good question. Well, I mean, first of all, what would I do? I'd be like, yo, I have some news from the future. There's a possibility Timothy Chalamet is going to play you in a movie. Let's start (laughs) there. (laughs) Is that true? Why not? He's playing. I think it's like J- Who I wants think, to see him play Willy Wonka? I think it's more like a Jason Momoa. That's what you hope. Genghis Khan or Jesus Christ? Isn't Timothy Chalamet more the Jesus figure? Timothy Chalamet would definitely do it. Have Jesus. you been yeah. to Hollywood? Can I show no. you a hundred years of movies? They don't care what he actually looks like anyway. Okay. Um what what would you do? I don't really I would really want to interview Jesus. That seems like a great opportunity. I have a lot uh, of questions yes. for him. I was focused on the Genghis Khan and his hordes part. But yes. The hordes are a problem. I would Barbara Walters Jesus. But would in a you call, would you call the cops? Would you be like, uh, there's a horde <laughs> out here? I mean, not unless they or, were like Or would you try to would you try to interview him? Would you try to have a conversation? I would him? definitely try to talk to Genghis. David Plotz is out here trying yeah. to get me to say I would care in Genghis Khan. <laughs> Great. <laughs> sure. You're, you're the guy who called the cops on Genghis <laughs> on Khan. Genghis Khan yeah. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> That's the one time when you're allowed to call the police as if the <laughs> horde of marauders from the whatever century is at your door. It's the only time. Which department Don't call the cops on Jesus. Definitely not. <laughs> Which department would do the best job dealing yeah. with the dealing with Genghis Khan? Dealing with Genghis Khan, huh? <laughs> I mean, like the LAPD of the 80s, probably. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Listen, early 90s LAPS, that's 100%. That's who I'm, that's yeah, who I would relocate are. to. Be, hey, guys, I've got another house across the country. <laughs> Knock on that door. Uh, Wesley, give us one more. Um, <laughs> what's the worst thing you like? Or if you prefer, What's the best thing you can't stand? This is from Chuck Tarek. Oh, I love this question. You go first. All right, I'll, I'll do both. So the worst thing I like is golf, which is in morally reprehensible. I love golf, and I really love watching golf on TV. Same. No. Love it. Never played it in my life. I love watching. But it's hard. Wait, can I, parenthetically, is it not hard to watch it now that it really has just become more blatantly politics than it previously ever was? Yes, and yet, do I still watch it? I do. It's just uh, really not, it's, it's not, I don't feel good about I really don't feel good about it. The, the, the wonderful thing that I can't stand is theater. <laughs> it's play, I don't like going to plays. All theater? All plays. I like musicals. As the guy who lives in D.C. <laughs> The he says on a stage. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, I'm still I'm being honest. Right. I'm trying to be honest here. Oh, no, no, let's no, see. Let's see it. you. No, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm about the Knicks is <laughs> the worst thing I like. <laughs> I mean, that's easy. Uh, and the best thing I can't stand. Oh, I think I just told you it's sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about the first one, but the. Best thing I don't like is listening to live jazz. Oh, I'm with you. Yes. Wesley's never going to speak to us again. It's so, I fall asleep every time, Wesley. I'm really sorry. Just absolutely the most soft. Who are you watching? I, it doesn't are you matter. Going? It wouldn't matter. I swear to you. If I took you to Kamasi, Washington tomorrow. I mean, I hope. I you hope I could stay asleep. asleep. I, I just, it's like, I don't understand. Clearly, it's a lack. It's ignorance on my I, part. I don't, no, 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 no. I don't think, I don't believe in that, actually. I truly do believe. The smartest thing I, I ever heard somebody say about watching movies came from Nicole Kidman. And 
Was it in that commercial that ran before all those AMC movies that she did? That, she, I don't know what category. That was one of the saddest things I've ever seen a smart person get tricked into doing. <laughs> I don't know what the deal was. She hasn't been in a movie that's been at A. Well, Aquaman, I guess. Um, she said she was in the jury at Cannes a few years ago. And she said, um, somebody was asking her about like the grueling pace of watching all the movies in order to judge the best one for the Palm Door. And she said something along the lines of, you know, watching movies is really about my body rhythms and my moods. And I just don't want to be at a movie at 8 a.m. because my body doesn't want to be there. So that was the hardest thing about being on this jury. I think that there's some, and there's a lot of science about the way we respond to music, art, um, light. And it could just be that like- Time of day. As isn't your thing. Even if you grew up in a house- Or it could be that it's always at nighttime when I'd rather be sleeping. Or it could be that I'm old. No. But you don't, but you didn't say- Did you ever like jazz? Like you don't want to listen to- No, it's pretty specific. Folk music or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. all right. Say that. Um, All right, we're going to do lightning round. Lightning round. And then, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No theater, no jazz. Okay, Uh, got it. All right, here we go. Uh, If you could save one from death, which would you choose? A healthy 200-foot, 500-year-old tree or a small family of monkeys? I choose the tree, but I love the small part of the question here. There's something (laughs) about that that makes it harder, but I totally choose the old tree. Wesley? Old tree! Old tree. Yeah, yeah, there's living things in the tree that you're also saving. There's families of squirrels that live in that tree. Parenthetically, am I watching the monkeys die? Yeah, you got to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, I'm still going to go with the tree. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, salt and pepper are found on almost every restaurant table. What third item should join them? There's Alan one Dibner answer. Asks. Hot sauce. Hot sauce. Okay. I would say chili. I'm going to say chili oil. It's chili. in the same oil? family. It's the same family. It's same family. Okay. It's fancier, maybe. Uh, if you had to live in a store for the rest of your life, which store would it be? Barney's. The old Barney's. I live in the ghost of Barney's for the rest of what my life. What would you eat? The clothes. <laughs> I mean, I would eat, I mean, there's so many designers that made put, put stuff on the clothes. I would just eat the knit donut on a Comme des Garcons sweater. Yes. <laughs> I would say in Costco, but that's a better answer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was torn between the Berkeley Bowl, my favorite supermarket ever, Where'd and you sleep though at the Berkeley Bowl. I just lie down. The bed of, a bed of yeah, night. just yeah, yeah. I don't it'd know. Be fine, but also the hardware store. I mean, if really was forever, and and if they were feeding you, you'd need all the things in the hardware store. But who's feeding you? I don't know. Can I just stop? I know we're supposed to go fast here, but there's an important aspect to the wording of this question that I want to just stipulate. It does not say there's an apocalypse and the only place you, it's where do you live? Hmm. I can go outside and get a hot dog and come back in and try on all the clothes. I can leave Barney's and just go back. He has a point. We were imagining I don't have to eat in the Barney's, although there is a cafe or there was a cafe. RIP, man. But yes, you can leave the space to go out oh. and do other stuff. You just have to come home, and that's where you live. That in does the, change in the, store. the whole thing. Well, then you don't, probably you want to be, so then you, you want to be entertained. There. Oh. Listen, I, I will do a rom- romantic Maybe you want to live in a bookstore. How's that for a virtue signaling <laughs> answer? Fair. The, the, well, forget it. All right. Um, <laughs> all right, final lightning round question. If you could, Inception style, replace the Roman Empire as something that men think about every day, what would you replace it with? Beyonce's Renaissance. <laughs> that seems like a good way of I'm getting I'm just going to make the... that person, make, make the men think about that all day. I like that. I think that's good. Go, do you... <laughs> do we believe this about the... Every time like somebody brings yes. this story up, you believe I, it? We had the guy, we had this Roman Empire podcast on, and he, every, claims. he claims everyone does think about the Roman Empire all the time. I think about the Roman Empire a lot. Why? What do you think about it? Golf. 
<laughs> I mean, what do you want? What do I think about? I think about how close are we like it? Is it is it the same? Are you know is is are we at the end of of a cycle of history where we too are about to you know we we've lived this sybaritic hedonistic life with such pleasures and such wealth and such prosperity and yet at the door are was there are a demographic ours. breakdown of who was into thinking about the Roman Empire? It's a really good question. Also, yeah, that just seems- I'd like to know those numbers too. <laughs> Because you know what I'm not thinking about? Yeah. The Roman Empire? I'm ready to move on. <laughs> Fair. That's our show for today. <laughs> the GabFest is produced by Shayna Roth. Our researcher is Julie Hugan. Jared Downing produced tonight as well. Katie Rayford put together this great show. Thanks to the 92nd Street Y and to the wonderful, beautiful audience here. Our theme music is by They Might Be Giants. Ben Richmond is Senior Director for Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is the VP of Audio Slate. For Emily Bazelon and Wesley Morris, the incredibly game Wesley Morris, I'm David Plotz. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.